Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my partner, Sam Hengeli. Today, we are coming to you live with a special show. We have the opportunity to speak with Cammie Craig, a three-time Olympian and a three-time Olympic medalist in women's water polo. Cammie, thanks for coming on. We appreciate the time. Thank you for having me and allowing me to share my story. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. You know, before we kind of really get into your your water polo career um, and then you kind of your journey as an Olympian, we'll start out with really what you're doing now. Currently, you know, you're a performance and culture coach and mindful warrior. Been at that this year since 2021. Tell us about that role, really the steps that led you to that position and really what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? Sure. I think, so I I retired five years ago. So I'm kind of, you know, I say I'm five years old in this new life and figuring out what is my next passion? What is my next niche? Right. Um, And I think in, in the transition um, post my athletic career was trying on a lot of different things. I had an idea that I wanted to work with people. I had an idea that I wanted to have a connection and whatever I did next with, with people. I initially found Rise Athletes, which is a mentorship program um, that connects Olympians with youth athletes. And I have had the honor of mentoring probably over a hundred female youth athletes uh, working on confidence building, self-management, advocation. I mean, you name it, we've, we've kind of covered it all. So mental skill set coaching with youth athletes, um, which really got me in the mindset and in the pocket of, wow, I really enjoy coaching. I really enjoy this role because it really mimics what my leadership style was with the women's U.S. national team. And how do you bring groups of people together to have uh, high trust and high performing culture? How do you bring the best out of those around you? So I was tapping into these natural skills that I've built over time with the national team and have leaned into different certification programs and trainings and things along those lines to really enhance and give myself a framework and a language around, around coaching. I've been connected with the, the CEO and founder of Mindful Warrior for um, almost three and a half, four years now and timing was right in April of 2021 uh, to join to join the team and do corporate coaching and and culture design culture design being you know how do you again how do you bring a team together um, to work effectively and efficiently and so again it, I I feel really fortunate it wasn't without a little bit of clunkiness um, mm-hmm. and a little bit of you know hard work and pain to figure out where am I gonna be next you know being an athlete and being having having work to be the best in the world at what you do that transition is you know again it has that clunkiness it has that kind of like pain that comes with it but I'm loving being in the in the pocket with coaching I'm loving learning around it I'm loving um you know the clients that I get to work with and I mean that that's what I'm doing and it's cool it's allowing me to be a teammate um that I've been you know all of my life and and continue to enhance those skills Mm-hmm. So 
you, know, you got your bachelor's degree in sociology from USC. Did that play a part, you know, with, by you getting your degree in sociology, kind of working with people and, and kind of knowing how they, knowing their mindset, did that play a role in your decision to do this, to, to do mentoring and coaching after playing water polo? I don't know that it played a role in making the decision, but it's definitely all in the same funnel, right? Um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head is, is sociology is a study of people behaviors and, you know, how we're all working in society. And I think that this has just been something I naturally gravitated to. This has been kind of like, you know, my makeup and who I am and who I've been on teams and who I've been in communities and in friendships and things along those lines. And I've always been drawn to, you know, performance connection and, and how, how do I bring the best out of myself and how do I bring the best out of, you know, the people around me. And I think being on a team sport, you can't just worry about yourself. You've got to be aware of what else is going on within your team because you can't get to the top of the podium alone when you're on a team sport. You kind of, you climb yourself and you pull up while you climb and you hope on the days that you're not being, you know, you're not able to show up as your best, that people are pulling you up as they climb. So I think, I mean, if you think about, I've been on team sports since, you know, since I was 14 at a high level for almost 20 years. And so the repetition I have in working in groups and, and really building um, upon that is it's, it's a lot. Right. <laughs> um, and so, but I think, yeah, I think that my major definitely had something to do with it. I've, I've been looking around at different, you know, social work programs, different, you know, counseling, psychology programs, just really interested in how, how am I going to continue to grow and learn in this world? Um, and how am I going to choose strategically and be efficient and effective with my time in continuing to learn and, and, make myself the best I can be now in this, in this world uh, and in this realm of coaching. Yeah. Uh, Cami, uh, welcome to the show. Um, so uh, you grew up in uh, Santa Barbara, California. Um, talk a little bit about your, uh, your sports background uh, before you played water polo. And then uh, what age did you start water, water polo? And then what, what uh, got you interested in trying water polo? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Santa Barbara, California, actually a little town inland from there called San Inez. And I was diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia at age seven. My mom was pretty aware that I had a lot of energy far before the diagnosis. My mom really committed to designing a lifestyle for me that was going to help me manage my energy um, and manage just, you know, yeah, I mean, really energy, this big personality I had, you know, and I think she, I was prescribed medication for my ADHD and my mom just poured the whole bottle down the sink and was like, we are going to just get you moving so that you're tired at the end of the day so that you can sit in class for a whole day. Um, and we're going to make movement um, and fitness a part of that management tool. Um, and so by the age of three or four, I was swimming, uh, I think four days a week, five days mm -hmm. a week with the, with the local YMCA. Um, and the water was a place where I could be loud. I could be big. I could use all of my energy. I mean, it was really just a positive place for me to just be big um, and boastful and, you know, do all the cami things. But the classroom was a little bit more of a, a challenge. I almost kind of put on my armor to get into the classroom each day mm -hmm. um, and figure out how to navigate 
uh, that environment with dyslexia and ADHD. I mean, that's like the last place I wanted to be. Right. So mm -hmm. the water really became a safe haven for me and a place where I could be myself. And it was all about trying everything. I mean, I played volleyball, softball. I played basketball for seven years. Um, I swam like since the day that I can remember and still the pool serves as, um, a release, a, a therapeutic tool for me. I still swim every single morning, mm -hmm. uh, because it's important, you know, I'm like, no matter what mood I am, it's like, go swim, Cam. just go swim. Like you'll feel yeah. better. <laughs> go swim. And then I, the swim team that was in our local town had left. So one of the, the boys that I was swimming with was like, you got to try water polo. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what that is, but here we go. And we were driving um, about 50 minutes uh, to practice two days a week together. We would carpool. And it was kind of love at first practice. It was like the best combination of swimming and basketball, which were the sports that I primarily, like I really loved. And I got to keep my head above water and talk to everyone. So that was also a bonus for me. <laughs> um, I'm like connection people. Cool. Let's talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, I mean, from the moment I started water polo, it was just like, it moved quick, right? Like I was learning, I was adopting all the skills. I was loving it. Um, I was progressing at a, you know, really strong rate. And that was exciting. You know, it was kind of like, oh, I'd, you know, I'd set a small goal and I'd reach it and take it off. I'd set the next small goal, reach it and take it off. And to the point to where I was like, wow, I'll never forget my mom looking at me. She's like, you could actually make the Olympic team in 2008. And that was a really, you know, it was a quick process, but it was a long one of a lot mm -hmm. of mini micro goals put together that put me in that position to uh, potentially make my first Olympic team. That's awesome. Um, when it comes to water polo, do most uh, professional uh, water polo players have a swimming background before? And then also, uh, what sport is also translates really well to water polo? Yeah. So I think if you guys, it, Kansas city, not a lot of water polo there. Um, so I think if you're going to describe water polo, it, it has a similar flow as basketball, you know, moving up and down the pool, it's got a cage like soccer. Um, and you're as physical as like rugby or wrestling. It's, it's known to be one of the most physically demanding sports and it is a physical sport. And I think, you know, we describe it as that which the idea is not to turn people away or off by water polo because you're like okay you're in the pool you've got someone climbing all over you trying to push you underwater and you need to like stay up by treading water you can't touch the the bottom of the pool and you need to score goals on top of that and I think you know having a swimming background is the first way you're going to feel comfortable trying the sport. If you've never, like, if you've never done swimming before, you're not comfortable swimming, you're not comfortable in the water, having someone in your face trying to push you underwater is probably not a great, <laughs> great yeah. you know, a great thing. So typically, yeah, having a swim background, you don't have to, um, but it makes it a lot more fluid um, to get into the sport and kind of get up and go. So, you know, having a strong swim background, then starting to introduce yourself to the sport is is a great way to do it and I you know I'm kind of like everyone's like how do you do that I was like I showed up on the first day of practice I thought I could deal with this um this is fine uh and then you just kind of lean in and <laughs> there you go you start learning the game yeah I, I run uh I'm a distance runner so I do a lot of endurance athletes and I during sports and uh people tell me all the time they think I'm crazy for running all these miles and then I watch water polo I'm like that's even crazier than me <laughs> <laughs> it's different and it and it's always 
you know, you, you can't write a script, you know, when you're doing long distance, you're like, I'm going to run this. I kind of know the route. I know what it's going to look like. It's uh, water polo is always evolving. It's never the same. Every possession is different. You can prepare for as much as you can, but you never, you're never going to know quite what's going to pop up in a game, you know, Mm -hmm. synchronized swimming, like it's all written out. It's a routine swimming. Like it's, we know what the race is going to be. Water polo is just like, here we go. Like you kind of have to dance with it. And so there's an element of that, which is really exciting and really fun. And I think really great for viewership as well. You're like, what did I just see that? Like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Right. So, um, it's a pretty fantastic sport to watch, um, and even more so to play. Absolutely. Um, so uh, walk us through uh, the training involved for all of your uh, Olympic games for people who aren't used to the sport. Like how does like a practice uh, go each on a routine basis? Yeah. So we play um, four eight minute quarters. The game probably start to finish lasts like just about an hour, just under with all timeouts and quarter breaks and things along those lines. And I, and I share that with you because an hour doesn't seem like that long of a time, right? When we talk about it, but we train six and a half hours a day almost six, six days a week. So we'll do typically we did a Wednesday was a half day at four hours or four and a half hours. And, and Saturday was a half day. This just goes to show the, um, the amount of endurance and fitness and strength that you need to have to play the game. And so we would do, yeah, three and a half in the morning and three in the afternoon. And we, that would be a mix of strength training, cross training with running, swimming, conditioning specifically for your legs with egg beater. Um, and then in the afternoon, we typically did technical and tactical. So we would do a lot more skills and drills, um, scrimmaging, actually playing shooting, but it's like, it's a full deal. Right. And then you're doing Mm -hmm. video and team meetings on top of that. And then once your day is over, once your six and a half hours of training is over, then you can go into the body work and recovery and the rest that you need to do. It's a full time job. It's an absolute full-time job when you're in full-time training. And, you know, I think about, and I look back at my time of training and how protective I was over that time. So even every piece of food that I put in my body, what I chose to do with my body when I wasn't at the pool, how, again, how was I resting it and recovering it? And just the thoughts that I would let into my mind and where was I keeping my mind when I was away from the pool? Where was my mind at when I was at the pool? You know, who was I who was my community and my team at the time and how are they supporting my journey to, you know, again, maximize all that I was doing because not only was it my dream to get top to the top of the podium, but it was 13 other women's dream uh, that I felt part of that responsibility to do. Um, and so again, very protective of that process. Yeah, definitely. So uh, with uh, being part of Mindful Warrior, Definitely uh, focus a lot on the mental side of the athlete. So for like a coach or an athlete, if they want to implement some uh, some ways to increase their uh, mental stamina and strength, um, what are some three uh, mental exercises that you use that uh, any coach should like implement into their uh, training program? I think, you know, it, I will, I won't give you exercises, but I'll give you a few themes. You know, I think noticing where your focus goes is really, really important noticing what thoughts I would allow in my mind and really what healthy thinking was, what, what did I want to have playing on a loop, you know, in my mind, because inevitably our mind's going to think it's going to wonder, it's going to go. 
and just having self-awareness, you know, um, Mm -hmm. of my emotions, my moods, my behaviors, thoughts that were coming up and then, you know, practicing self-regulation. So, you know, understanding what I wanted to do with all of those emotions, behaviors, moods, and thoughts that were coming up and really having my time, energy, and focus, you know, on the things that were within my control. You know, I think really now, especially with our young athletes, comparison, 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 Mm -hmm. we got social media, we got everyone wants to be doing, you know, the best and be seen as the best and all of those things. But really when we're focusing on other people, we're losing the ability to really focus on ourselves and make forward movement in the ways that we would like to do. Again, self self awareness, self regulation, and then really noticing where are you putting that focus and time, and it really should be on yourself to move forward, um, and and being aligned with that before you can help others along that journey as well. And sometimes simply that focus on yourself is is helpful enough to lead by example for those around you. Yeah, when you, when you were talking about that, uh, I was uh, thinking about when I was watching the Last Dance and that Michael Jordan. He was talking about like how present he was in the moment. Like he would never think about a shot that he hasn't taken yet. Like he was so like focused in the present moment. That's what uh, made him great, and that's what made that's made you great, and that's what made like every like champion or gold medalist uh, get to where they are today. Absolutely, I think yeah, being present is is so much a part of it, right? You can't premeditate or write the ending before it happens. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not over until the final buzzer rings, as cliche as that sounds. I mean, it's it's so true in a lot of ways, and especially playing in, in a high-level athletic game, for sure. When it comes to uh, athlete development and uh, water polo, uh, what are some... Uh some parts of the body that uh, that you want each player tries to develop that uh, will help them perform at their highest level and like what's the emphasis in the training development? Sure. I think, you know, you nailed it right from the beginning is that you want to have a really solid swim background. You want to be able to have the fitness to move up and down the pool. And then from there, it's just your development of overall strength. I can't say that you can isolate one part of your body with water polo because everything is asked um, of you to show up you and your wholeness, right. For water polo. But I think a really great fitness in, in swimming is going to be really important. Um, the water is a great equalizer. So, I mean, we're all the same height in the water, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can be five, four, or you can be six, three length is important, but there's just different ways that you can approach your game. If you're, you know, a, a smaller player, you're going to be quick. You're going to be explosive. You're going to be, you know, you're going to move quicker than some of the bigger players in the water. As a bigger player, you're throwing around strength. You're, fl- you're throwing around weight, um, which is also, uh, you know, an advantage in itself. But I would say, you know, overall strength, a balanced strength, a strong core, you know, strong legs and strong arms, you're going to need all of it to take a simple water polo shot, like just one simple shot with no one on you. You're going to have to have legs to be able to leg up and elevate yourself. You're going to have to have core to crunch and bring your shot down. And you're going to have to have some strength in your arm to get that ball moving towards the cage. You know, it's about really having a well-rounded, balanced body and and the sport will tell you really quick what your weaknesses are. Um, And so I say, listen to that, Uh, Mm -hmm. lean in, notice where, where you're, where you're struggling or you're feeling like, oh man, like I'm not making it in that. And I was really clear on my weaknesses and the things that I had to get better and develop. And my whole perspective in fitness and conditioning and training was I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself now 
so that I am not the one not winning in the game. Like I'm going to, I'm going to win every individual battle. So I'm going to put in the work now so that I am the stronger one. I'm the more fit one. I'm going to be the one making you tired. You're not going to make me tired. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. And so I always say to young athletes, can you dedicate a conditioning set? Like, you know, everyone's like, oh, this is like the hardest thing we've ever done. And I'm like, put that person in your mind that you go up against in a game. That is like, you're like the hardest person you go up against because they're super strong or they're super fast or they're super this Mm -hmm. and start training with them in mind about how you're going to beat them out. How are you going to, I'm going to dedicate this set to this, you know, Australian defender, because I know she makes me like really have to work. And I'm, if I can outbeat her in one second or moment or beat her on a certain move, then I'm going to end up winning that battle specifically. And that's what I always kind of held and kept me going and motivated me in, in some of those really intense conditioning sets. Absolutely. Just uh, trying to stretch yourself each each day is uh, is how you got to do it. So take us back to really when you started your Olympic career, your first Olympic that you comp- Olympics that you competed in was the 2008 Beijing where um, Team USA won silver. That, that was your fir- one of the first of three. Walk us through kind of like the process of getting to that stage and then kind of what you were feeling like with that being your very first Olympics. Man, my first Olympics, my eyes were as wide as they could be and everything felt new and I was learning a lot in the process. It's a four-year training quad, right, Uh, to make it to the Olympics. And I had my freshman and sophomore year at USC. So here I was at a Division I college um, playing for one of the top programs at USC. And so I was trying to figure out how to be a student athlete and balance all of that and also training to make my first Olympic team. Um, I can remember my sophomore year, I was driving from downtown LA to Long Beach, which is about a... 45 minute to an hour drive, depending on traffic. And I was training six and a half hours um, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday with the US team. On Tuesday, Thursday, I had four classes stacked. And then I would do strength training and training with the US USC team on Tuesday, Thursdays. And every weekend we were having a training camp as we were preparing for, for World Cup. I mean, I'm like, I don't even know how I even took a breath during that time, but I was juggling all of that. Um, And there's no way I could have done it without my teammates who were also going through that process. Um, So leading up to that was just like, I mean, it was full tilt. I was, I was doing the most and just trying to, again, be present in all of it, right? Like, I think it's hard when you're grinding that hard and you have that many moving pieces, it's easy to go through the motions but I was too young and too green to go through the motions. I had to learn. I had to start. You know, I had, I had to have things stick. I had to show up wholly for my USC team. And I had to show up wholly for my USA team. And I had a responsibility, you know, a lot of support from my outside team, mom's dad, um, mom, dad, and, and friends and teammates really helped me through that. Got through, took my, what would have been my junior year off to train full-time with the national team took a leave of absence from USC um, and just grinded leading up to Beijing. Uh, I was the youngest on the team at 21, but we had a very green team. We only had three returners um, on that Olympic team. We were young. We were dominant. uh, We were undefeated for a year and a half going into the Beijing Olympics and got there, which was like the dream come true. Made my first Olympic team. Um, 
I mean, wow, it was, uh, again, it was, it was overwhelming. It was exciting. I felt prepared. Um, you know, I was really looking forward to seeing what we could do as a team, um, being as that our year and a half was just so successful we got into the final games, you know, and we were playing a team that we felt fairly confident with. We had done some training with them prior to starting the Olympic games. Like we were in Beijing, we did a training camp with Holland. Um, and that's who we ended up playing in the final. So we felt fairly confident, um, and potentially got too comfortable, changed a little bit about how we approached the game. And I think there was a lot of nerves. There was a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of nerves. It was our first final game at the Olympics. It's the mm -hmm. final of the Olympic Games. Like it's, I mean, that's a big thing, right? Um, we ended up going down 4-0 right away, which is not at all what we expected. So I think we got a little bit spooked there and we just struggled to come back. I mean, we scratched our way back. We ended up being down by one with 20 seconds left. Our coach called a timeout, told us what we wanted, what we should do, went out there, and we had three shots on cage in that last possession, which is actually quite a bit to have that many opportunities in 20 seconds. And one shot hit the, the crossbar on top, landed in front of my teammate. She picked it up, shot it. Goalie blocked it, landed in front of her again. She picked it again, picked it up again, shot it. Goalie blocked it again, final buzzer rings. And I'm in the water in front of the cage at that time. And it felt like a horse had kicked me in my chest. Like I could feel all the air leave my body. I was just like, <sighs> like I couldn't even catch my breath. We had lost in the finals of the Olympics. And this was not at all how the dream was designed. This wasn't at all how we felt this was going to end for us. And with that being said, it changed everything moving forward and how I prepared mentally, how we prepared as a team, how we saw opportunities, um, really learning from maybe the missteps that we did in, in those games. And I think everyone gets excited about the two golds. And I am not sure that the two golds would be as meaningful or exist in the way that they have without having the learning experience of silver. And so I'm really appreciative of that. Uh, despite the pain uh, it caused, um, it, it really, really taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. So one gold in 2012 and one gold in 2016. Um, 2012 was London and 2016 was Rio. I mean, you obviously, you just mentioned that getting the silver in Beijing was a really big learning experience for you. Mm -hmm. Kind of that, okay, maybe, maybe a little bit of a humbling, maybe walk us through or give us some like really cool, interesting stories about that, that run to gold in 2012 and then 2016, but also for you personally, or e even as a team, like when you were, you know, obviously it's a different emotion when you get on that podium and you get a silver compared to when you get the mm -hmm. gold. What was also, what was that emotion like when you finally got the gold? For sure. So I think learning and growing and is never comfortable. Like, I don't, I don't know that I've experienced learning and growing to be a super comfortable thing. And there's always a part of you that's being pushed or developed or changing. Right. And, and there's awareness with that. Um, I think what was really important for us in 2012 is creating a really strong bond as a team. And when I say bond, I don't mean that we're all best friends, but that there was trust and respect and there was belonging and inclusion. And there was, 
was a bond in a way that we could count on each other and lean on each other. Again, you know, were we all best friends? No, absolutely not. But there was an immense amount of respect and the time and energy we put and invested in building those relationships was significant. And it was important. I think it was a big part of us becoming a team. The next thing that was really stood out to me is that we had ownership of our team in 2012. It was ours to be had. We made the decisions and we were responsible for the decisions we made as a team. We were really playing for the girls in the pool and not the coach on the deck. And that's really important because if you're playing for, and this is a lot for the younger players, if you're playing for the coach on the deck or on the sideline, inevitably the teammate next to you can become the enemy, right? Because you're playing for something outside of your team. And I think that our coach was our fearless leader. Our coach was who kept the tempo for us. We trusted him as much as we trusted each other, but we were playing for the girls in the pool. Our coach couldn't jump in and, you know, wrestle a Hungarian and, and, you know, or like score a goal for us. He couldn't do that. But what he could do was hold, hold the space for us to do it and lead us through that. So really having our intentions right and, and being really clear about who are we playing for each other. Right. Um, and when that is felt amongst a group of 13 women trying to do something big. Ooh, I got goosebumps talking about it. It's a pretty powerful thing when there's full trust and, and you guys are working for each other. Those were developed and learned. And for me, something I really pressed as a leader on the team to enhance and to develop. And everyone was a part of orchestrating how that developed. Our coach was a part of it. Each of us as individuals were a part of it. In 2012, I had two teammates who had competed in four Olympic games. Women's water polos debuted, debuted in the Olympics in 2000. We had won silver, bronze, and silver. And 2012 was our opportunity to have two of my my teammates who are four-time Olympians, which means they'd been in it from the start, have their opportunity to win a gold medal. When the final buzzer rang in London and we had won gold and we got the opportunity to stand on top of the podium and hear our national anthem play. Ooh, it makes me emotional talking about it still because it's, it's probably one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. But watching those two girls receive their gold medals was so, so, so cool because they had been at it for 16 years and they finally, I'm like, here's your gold medal. Go take a nap. Like, you know, like you did it. Um, but that was pretty, I was super powerful and to have made history for women's water polo was super powerful and to live out the dream that I've had, you know, as a kid and just have, you know, have all that hard work pay off and to be enjoying it with my team. I always say like, no matter how close you are to the experience, you know, whether you are a parent or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, um, and you're living closely to this experience of this athlete training to the Olympics, nobody knows, but you and your teammates, if you're a team sport, if you're an individual sport, no one really knows, but you, you are the only one responsible for putting in the energy, time and effort. And you're the only one that can do it. To experience that kind of pocket of joy, success, celebration, and to be doing it alongside of the girls that I watch sacrifice each day, show up each day and put 100% in, it doesn't get any better than that. And to repeat it in Rio, come on, mm -hmm. that's pretty awesome. So I am curious, out of the three medals that you've won, one, where do you keep these medals now? And like you said, wrestling a Hungarian, did you have any like big time fights? in the water 
Oh, uh, my medals uh, reside in a safe in California. <laughs> um, and no, I think there's always some like pretty heavy moments in the games. Um, I think for me, I take pride in playing a clean game, playing a very like fundamentally sound game, but it's a physical sport. Like there's wrestling going down. There's kind of putting each other in place and in different moments, you know, I've ripped the webbing of my hand, got 23 stitches by blocking a shot, just split my whole hand open. You know, it, you put yourself out there. We've got a bathing suit, your cups over our ears to protect our ears, which totally work. Cause I've had my cap, you know, halfway off with the ear exposed elbow to the ear, boom, like eardrum totally ruptured in one, in one hit. Right. And if, you know, if you're that player, you wear a mouth guard, which I did, and you're just, you're, you're putting your body full in. And so, yeah. And, but I always thought like the best way to show up and, and outbeat someone was just like shooting a perfect goal or just like full, like feel block, like in your face, let's go energy made off. You go on the next possession, but it happens. No specific brawls that stick out (laughs) during your you know, eight year Olympic water polo career. Did you have any, like, I mean, obviously you met, you talked about sort of that humbling of obviously getting silver in the first one, but we've talked to several athletes, some that played professional basketball, some that played in the MLB in college. Uh, some of them have kind of talked about like, welcome to the, you know, college or welcome to the, like that, le- like that moment where like you first play in the professional league and it's like, huh, I'm humble pretty quickly here. Did you kind of get that moment? Like, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't use the word humbling, like humbling. I think I came in on a humble foot. Like I knew I had a lot to learn. I never felt, I never felt truly like I'm, I made it like, you know, like, I mean, obviously there's little, those little goals that I was talking about that you ticked off, but, um, you know, I think that, man, I just, again, eyes wide open, just like always just like trying to learn at every level that I got to. And I was nervous, man. I like, there is not one thing I've done in my Olympic career that wasn't without managing some sort of fear, um, or angst or, um, learning how to like take that and and turn it into energy to put in the game. Or how do you quiet that, that like waste of an, an like anxiousness or fear? Like, how do you manage it? So you're not draining your energy source. And so I think there was kind of like always like, Ooh, like I I'm, I've got to show up here and I've got to prove myself. I had a very much an energy of like, I need to prove myself. You know, I'm the only athlete in my family. I'm the first in my family to attend and graduate college. Like we never even heard of water polo. So like, you know, I, I, there was never like an ego that came with what um, I did. Like literally I was like happy to be there and learning as I went. And yeah, I mean, there's moments where you get too comfortable and you're like, okay, well that's sports for you. It'll, you know, I've got one coach that called it the water polo gods, another coach that says you're only good as your next game. And, you know, I think culturally you're really aware of like, you know, like you got to show up each day and prove yourself. Talking is one thing, but showing up and delivering is another, and it takes a lot of work to do that. And so again, I think very much constantly just trying to show up and prove myself. And I wouldn't even say like Beijing was humbling. I think it was just, man, it was a learning experience in even being undefeated for a year and a half, never getting comfortable with that. 
you know, I think it was just a finals game at the Olympics was new to us and we didn't know quite how to put the pieces together. And unfortunately that was the outcome. I think lots of learning along the way and never without a little bit of angst and fear driving behind, uh, behind me for sure. Risk is risk is like taking risk is so a part of becoming right. And if, if we're in full security, we're not taking risks. Uh, which means we're not becoming, we're not evolving. We're not living a real whole life if we if we play it safe all the time. Aside from playing in these three Olympics, you know, you still have the opportunity to be in those different cities in Beijing and Rio and London. Just how did that feel to you kind of going in those cities for that two-week time? By the way, you're a first Olympian, so like that we've had on. So when you get to these cities, like what was the schedule like? Did you, did you have any time to tour the different parts or no? No, you didn't? No, typically we do like a test event prior where we can go play around and, and see the city and just get familiarized in it, uh, which is awesome. So you're not distracted when you get there. I think the Olympic Games and, and how how you want it to be, or at least how as an athlete I did individually wanted it to be designed is that you've been there before. You don't want it to feel like the biggest moment of your life. You don't want it to be incredibly distracting. You don't want it to be like, Oh my gosh, we're like, you know, change everything. We're, we're here. We're at the big dance. Like you want it to feel like, Oh, this is the same training schedule. We're eating the same food. We're going to play the same game with the same cages and the same women that we've seen over and over again. And we're going to go out and crush it. Like this is not a time to change or be distracted or be on vacation or like be sightseeing. Like we've got gold medals to win. We've got a job to do, right? And so, you know, I think a lot of the energy that I would bring to training was like, every time we scrimmage, I pretend like it was the final of the Olympic games. Sure, we're in this like hole in the wall pool in the middle of California <laughs> where like no one would know where we trained. Even if you told them, they'd be like, where is that? I'm like, oh, like Los Al, like that's where our pool is. But, you know, I, I would create this certain energy of like, all right, this is, this is the finals. You want to, you want to warm up like it's the finals. You want to mentally prepare like it's the finals. You want to have the pre uh, practice, like meal, like it's the finals of the Olympic games. You want to connect with your teammates, like it's the final Olympic games. And you want to give that energy, like it's the final Olympic games. And it's like a, it's a practice scrimmage, but I'll tell you what, you don't want to feel like it's your first time showing up once you get there. Cause that's, Again, there's the fear, there's the overwhelm, there's the angst. So we could have played on the moon. We're like, focused. you're locked in. You're like at the pool, you're on the bus, you're at the dining hall. I mean, obviously there's some really cool things that you experience at the Olympic games, like opening ceremonies, interacting with other athletes from different countries being in the village it's it's really it's a cool thing you realize you're part of something bigger how everything's outfitted and the venues are done is like pretty amazing there's rings everywhere which is awesome and then just the crowd and the audience you can feel that energy yet you're not distracted by it because you're just you're you're in a flow you're in a zone I think there's something pretty special about it and there's something that you want to normalize about it so when you get there it doesn't feel so overwhelming you don't feel like you're so off your like track of what what you're there to do yeah what was it like uh, experiencing the opening closing ceremonies 
yeah, I felt like, a, like I felt a part of something so much bigger than myself walking through the tunnel to head out to the stadium and hearing all of the U S athletes chanting USA, USA. And you walk out and it's just like this roar. I mean, we don't play we're women's water polo. We're a low profile sport. We don't play in front of major audiences. I mean, it's typically like our parents, we love them. <laughs> Thanks for coming to watch our games. Um, and so to walk into a stadium filled with people, um, and be a part of that roar and that energy and representing your country and experiencing it with your teammates and everyone's dressed up in their, you know, opening ceremony outfits and representing their countries. And it's just a really special thing. It's really special. And I would say that's between the medal ceremony. Um, those are, I mean, those are some of the coolest experiences and moments that I've had at the games. And you started at 21. And then you ended at 29. I mean, did you have that energy to maybe compete for, I guess it would have been, it was 2020, but now it was 2021. Like when did you realize, okay, it's kind of, it's time to, to move on. Yeah. I think I was very, it was a very conscious choice. I retired with a, a great relationship with the sport great relationships with my teammates, my coach, um, healthy body. Um, I got to retire, you know, stepping off the top of the podium. And I knew that I wanted Rio to be my last games. I was going to be going into my thirties. I, we usually take two of my position. I'm a whole set, which is like the Shaquille O'Neal of women's water polo. Like I sit in the middle and the ball's fed to me and I try to score goals. That's my whole job. And my, our other, our secondary center was she was either 18 or 19 at the time. And I was 29. And so we were just turning, like we're turning a new page, you know, like the young were coming in, the older were moving out. And it was time for me to really share everything that I've learned through my experience with the younger group and pass the torch. Um, and you know, I think I, I felt the evolution of like being the green, the young, having my eyes wide open at my first Olympics to really feeling comfortable and in the pocket and with a group of women that we worked so hard to make these connections with and winning our first gold in London. And then being the veteran, the true veteran in 2016 and really feeling like I was leading and supported by a younger group of women who, you know, the game was changing, the way of building teams was changing. I mean, the 2016 team had a completely different style than 08 and completely different style than 2012. And I knew I knew it was my time. Um, and it was a choice that I made. And of course, I mean, like any, I think any elite athlete would be like, oh, like I probably could have done another one, you know, but it's like, I already had a lot of miles on my body. I, there's a lot of different factors that went into knowing that it was my time to finish. And I'm just really fortunate that it was my choice and it was a positive one. And what a, what a challenge this last quad would have been five years, COVID, no audience, um, you know, no family members or anyone in the stands and just would have been really different. And I send a lot of love and support to the athletes that navigated that. I mean, that's not an easy journey. So I think my timing was divine for myself, for sure. Cammy, um, so uh, where can people follow you on uh, social media? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Cammy Craig USA. Go check out if you are a youth athlete listening, go check out Rise Athletes. 
I'm one of many athletes that represent, you know, many different sports within our, our mentorship program. And I, I mentor much more than just water polo. I've worked with 15 different sports. So we're here for you to support you on your journey. And if you are an elite performer, um, an executive in the corporate world, or just an elite athlete in itself, go check out Mindful Warrior and we'll help you along that journey as well. And yes, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Cami, for uh, coming on and also uh, for your work with uh, helping uh, other athletes and other people uh, help them mentally uh, get stronger and help them navigate through their challenges in, of life. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Best of luck in all that you guys are doing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cami. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you are new to the show, make sure to follow the Sports Mecca podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Sports Mecca.